Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. I'm happy to see y'all today. How's your week been? Good, great. Okay. Was there sarcasm in that great right there? Okay, okay. Just making sure. They can't all be bad weeks, right? Right, right? Okay. It's a good week. I am so thankful for each of you here. At Recreate Church, we have a motto. The folks who are around here a lot know it, but let's, let's let everybody know it. That uh, our motto is, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. we got something cool coming up soon. Um, let's see, the movie night. So we flip forward a few slides there? We have a family movie night coming up October the 7th. That's a Friday night. We're going to show the war room. It'll be right here. It's going to be awesome. The Friday following that, we're going to have a prayer night. You know, here we are. We're almost five years into this thing. Can you believe that? Five years. We've come a long way. Now, some of y'all have, were there in my living room. Some of you all were there when we went to the Hampton Inn. We're in the conference room of the Hampton Inn. We have a few who are still here for that. Some of y'all were with us when we went over to the Senior Citizens Building for a while, and we just happened to pick the time that a mouse had died in the Senior Citizens Building. So we got to enjoy that. Then we went to the high school for a while. Quite a few of you are here for that. And then we've been here. We, we love it here. It's nice to have our own space. It's nice to not have to drag equipment in and out of the high school every week. Isn't it, Patrick? Patrick was my buddy. He helped me set up for so much of that. And we're here. We're here. Normally, I don't do this. But I don't normally call out birthdays. But we had like a lot of them this week. So happy birthday to Juanita Brown, who makes the coffee. And uh, happy birthday to James Shockley, coolest dad I've ever had. Happy birthday to Lucy. Yay. Happy birthday to, to Barbie, who's here sometimes. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's nice to celebrate some birthdays. I'm not going to tell how old anybody is, though I'm pretty sure I know. So, Do you ever end up with some responsibilities and you're not sure how you ended up being that person with those responsibilities? One place I worked... It seemed no one else in the whole building, these grown men with college degrees, no one else in the building knew how a toilet paper roll functioned. (laughs) That all you have to do, these were engineers, these were mechanical engineers who did not understand that you take the, when it's empty, you don't have to set the roll on top of the thing. You can take the the little thing out of the middle and you can put a new roll on in the proper overhand fashion. For y'all weirdos who do it the other way. I think if you have cats, you're supposed to do it the other way because cats will knock it off. I don't know. And you put it on there, and it works. That's, I mean, it's that simple. And there was nobody else in that building who knew how to do that. I'm not at that job anymore, so I don't know what they're doing now. And maybe, like, have a, I have no idea what they've done now. Um, at my current job, I've somehow become the spreadsheet guy. So call me with your problems in Microsoft Excel. And if I'm not fixing them at work, I'll help you. A few years ago, I somehow became the family plumber. I know how I became the family plumber. It's because my dad, this is a paraphrase, my dad looked at me and said, you're doing all the plumbing now. Because dad is a super chill guy <laughs> until he's plumbing. All right. You want to know how bad you need Jesus? Do some plumbing. You'll find out real quick. <laughs> 
<laughs> that you need Jesus. Hey, I need Jesus just as bad as everyone else. But uh, Dad said, you're the plumber now. So I get to do the plumbing now. Plumber for my family, not yours. God bless you. You have to find your own. So like last year, my, I heard that my grandmother had a leak. Rosa had a leak. Um, under the bathtub, the upstairs bathtub, underneath that, there's another bathroom downstairs. And it was leaking in the ceiling. And you would think it was leaking because of the bathtub, right? Not the case. I got in there and I found something. See, that house was built at a time when everyone had copper pipe. Every house had copper pipe. And copper pipe eventually starts to leak. So <clears throat> they hired someone to take all the copper out. And they most, and, and replace it with plastic pipe, with, with PEX, all right? And that mostly happened. They took out most of the copper. But when I go in there in the bathroom and the ceiling is falling in, you know what kind of pipe I saw? There was a piece of copper in there. There was a piece of, in a three-foot section, there was some copper, there was some plastic pipe, and there was something else that I cannot remember, and there was a bunch of adapters holding that all together. You don't have to know much about plumbing to know that the more adapters and connectors you use, the more likely it's going to be leaking. You just, I, I cut all that section out. This is the thing I do for my grandmother, not for everybody. God bless y'all. I'll find somebody to help you, but I don't know if I can help everybody. Uh, and my mom, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. But I cut out like the, this section and I put like some nice clean flex line in there with some good, good adapters. Thing, the thing is about plumbing, when you try to connect the old and the new, when you try to combine old plumbing and new plumbing, it usually leads to problems. Right there is where you're going to have the problem when you're trying to, to, to retrofit the old with a piece of new in there. So that was the problem with the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Not a plumbing problem. But they were trying to connect the old and the new. They were trying to connect the old, the, the new thing that Jesus was doing. They were just sort of trying to, to adapt it into the old thing that they were used to. They were used to a system of, of rule keeping. You keep the rules and you're good. Jesus was coming in and talking about relationships. This, this message is about rule keeping versus relationships. We're in Mark chapter 2. We're in a study of the book of Mark. And you're going to say, how long are we going to be in the book of Mark? Well, there's 16 chapters in world chapter 2. So we'll see how long we're there. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. If you got that, I'm going to read the first verse, and I'm going to stop and pray. It goes like this. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came to him and said to him, Why did the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Heavenly Father, Will you open the scripture to us and show us how you want to have a relationship with us through Jesus? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The followers of the Pharisees, the disciples of the Pharisees, came to Jesus with a question. We keep seeing these Pharisees. They're in all through the Gospels. They're kind of the, the primary antagonist. Every time Jesus does something, the Pharisees have something to say about it. Now, the word Pharisee today has some negative connotations, but they were well-respected fellows in their day. They were the religious gurus. Everyone knew the Pharisees were the most religious people in all Israel. And they knew the Scriptures. But they missed the point of the Scriptures. Instead of seeing how God wanted to connect with them, they came up with this list of rules. All the rules to make you a good believer. And they would follow the rules. Instead of really having a spiritual life, they had a rule-following life. Now, 
they were following the rules, so they they weren't killing people. That's a plus. Okay, we're no longer under the law, but you should probably still not kill people. If you had any plans, go ahead and scratch that off. Don't do that. So they were well-behaved in a sense, but they just reduced it to a list of rules. They did not understand that God has so much more to offer than just a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. With the followers of the Pharisees came some other people, followers of John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist, of course, was the herald of Jesus. He was the one, the forerunner, the one that told everyone, hey, Jesus is coming, be ready. The Messiah is coming. And when Jesus did arrive on the scene, John said, I must decrease, he must increase. In other words, all y'all who are following me, need to go follow Jesus now because this was the whole point of the thing. But not everybody transferred their allegiance to Jesus. Some of them did. You've heard of guys like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They started out as disciples of John the Baptist, became disciples of Jesus and apostles. But some of the folks were still following John even though he was in prison and they didn't yet recognize Jesus for who he was. So these two different groups had one thing in common. They were used to the old way. They were used to the old system. They were used to a rule-keeping type of relationship with God. They couldn't see this new way of relationship that God was trying to bring in through Jesus. So they came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do? Fasting is going without food on purpose for a period of time. Sometimes people do it for health. Moms do it because they're too busy, so they say. Dads always seem to find time to eat. But that's another story, and I don't want anyone to have a difficult ride home. So I'm going to leave it right there. So sometimes people would would fast for health reasons, and that still happens today. But it was also a spiritual discipline. And you're going to say, well, why is going without food a spiritual discipline? Well... When you feel hunger, you recognize you need something. It reminds you of your dependence on God. That, those hunger pangs are like, okay, I can't just do this. I can't just float around my life and, and be okay. I need something outside myself. And really, that thing is ultimately God. But you can go without food for quite a while, three weeks, allegedly. I can't really go about three hours. But three weeks, technically, on paper, you're supposed to be able to. And you'll be okay, but you, you really can't go at all without God. Also, do you know how much time it takes to, to prepare and eat and clean up after food? I like to cook, but I hate to wash pots and pans. I hate it so much. I hate, I'm the dishwashing guy in our house, and I absolutely hate washing dishes. But I love my wife more than I hate washing dishes. That's the only reason I do it. It's because I love Jesus and I love my wife. Because otherwise, we would just be just be squatting over a campfire roasting everything over an open flame that's where my daddy raised me not in doug spur cave people not mama's people they were pretty civilized dad's people were cave people we have it confirmed my sister did the 23 and me dna thing we have twice the normal amount of neanderthal as most people it's and that's okay twice it's still not a lot so don't get too excited it's like you know some of you walked in feeling bad about yourself and say well at least i'm not double neanderthal 
So there's that. You're welcome. But it does take up a lot of time cooking and eating and cleaning up after food. I mean, by the time you've went, you've went shopping, you've got the food, you've brought it home, you've cooked it, you've taken like 15 minutes to eat it, and it's gone, and you've got to clean up after it. It's a lot of time. So fasting does free up a lot of time to pray, to talk to the Lord, to, to make a spiritual connection. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Find you a good book on it. Check it out. It's a, it's a spiritual discipline that you should know about. Absolutely. The Old Testament law only required the Jews to fast one day of the year. The Day of Atonement. That was the one day that they were required to do a fast. The Pharisees, however, they're always adding extra rules. They fasted twice a week. And these were probably 12-hour fasts from sunup to sundown. They fasted twice a week. Is there anything wrong with that? No. If you're doing it for the right reasons. But we can kind of see in the Scriptures that they weren't. They wanted to appear very, very spiritual. At least some of them were doing it for reasons that they, they wanted to show everyone how religious they were. It wasn't so much for devotion. It was for, for clout. All right. There's social media clout today. Like people say, hey, look, I am feeding the homeless today. Look at this. Look at all these pictures. You know, putting on social media, all the good things they do. Didn't have social media back then, but everyone could see how very, very religious the Pharisees were. It was their, their way of showing that they were more spiritual than the average person. No surprise that Jesus didn't really want his followers doing that, being religious for show. But the way he answers it, I like it. I like it a lot. It's interesting. He doesn't really address it the way you might expect. Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when a bridegroom will be, the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Jesus, of course, is talking about a, a wedding. A bridegroom is just an old school way of referring to a groom, the groom of a bride. Weddings are a lot of fun. Most of the time. They're fun when they're finished. I like being that special part of a wedding because you're there and you're close and you can hear the vows that the bride and groom pledge to one another and you can't always hear it when you're out in the audience but the preacher can hear it and I like that but that's not my favorite part of the wedding my favorite part of the wedding is your favorite part of the wedding too probably it's the food yeah yeah James over here he gets it Mm -hmm. the food if you go home hungry from a wedding it's your fault you made bad decisions Weddings have such good food. Normally, awesome food. I went to a wedding last weekend. Fantastic food. I even ate some of the vegan food. It was that good that the vegan food tasted good. You know it's good. Duncan, it was not just hunger. It was not just hunger. It was really, really good. Love vegans, by the way. I'm not going to ask who's a vegan in the crowd. I just want to say I appreciate your contribution and freeing up Twice as much meat for me. Thank you. Thank you. Bless your heart. So at a wedding, you can't not eat at a wedding. Jesus' day, a wedding went over several days. It wasn't like an afternoon thing or one day thing. It was maybe three days, maybe as much as a week as if it's a really important people. And there would be food and drink the whole time. The friends of the bride and groom could not fast during the wedding celebration. It was a time for feasting, not for fasting. The New Testament uses the imagery of marriage to describe Jesus' relationship with his people. 
He says the church is his bride. And I know, guys, that's a little bit of an uncomfortable metaphor. It just is. But it's more about the connection. It's that deep love relationship, that deep commitment to one another. Jesus defined his connection to his people, not in terms of rule keeping, but a relationship. And the ultimate relationship we understand, the relationship between two spouses. Even in the Old Testament, God tried to get them to see this, but they couldn't see it too well. He did speak of himself somewhat as a father to the nation of Israel, and he even presented himself as a, as a husband to the nation of Israel. But for the most part, they, they didn't get that. And really, we didn't get that until much, much later. Very often people don't see God in that way, as this loving relationship. It's easy to see God as this law enforcement official or, or a judge who's trying to bust you for doing something you shouldn't, someone who's trying to catch you in something. And let's, let's just be honest here. Jesus, uh, God is a judge, and we'll all stand before him someday. But his desire is not just to be a judge. He, he wants a relationship with us. That's what he wants, a deep, life-giving, everlasting connection. Jesus said that while he was with his disciples, they could not fast. Something unique was happening. It was time to celebrate, not to be sad. His relationship with them was, was literal. He was present. They could reach out and, and touch him, and that wasn't going to last forever. He said, while this is going on, they can't fast, but someday I'll be taken away, and they'll fast then. That will be the time for fasting. The disciples did not understand what this means. What, what do you mean Jesus would be taken away? But we know, don't we? The crucifixion was coming. He was going to be taken away. And then it would be time for sanctified grieving. So you'd think these guys would get it, would understand. Of course, they didn't. Have you ever explained something to someone so very plainly, and the person does not get it? These people are called husbands. And children. And I'm going to throw wives in there too because my wife will be at the evening service and y'all won't narc on me and tell her I said it. Yeah. It happens. The people in front of Jesus must not have gotten it because he threw in not one but two more illustrations. He wanted them to see that the emphasis on relationship could not just be connected or attached or tacked on to their old emphasis on rules. So verse 21, we're going to go to verse 21 and stay there for just a minute. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. In the ancient world, all the cloth was made by hand, and it was very expensive for that reason. So most people would only have the clothes they were wearing and maybe one more set of clothes for when they're washing the other set of clothes. Imagine only having one t-shirt and it's a Dallas Cowboys t-shirt and you have to walk around with your shirt turned inside out all the time. That would be rough. We got some Dallas people in the room and I love y'all anyway because Jesus tells me to, but it's a little harder. Just a little, it's a little harder. That star is not a logo. It's a rating. One star. And it... <laughs> I'll be going out the back door. 
today. Bobby's not here. He'd be picking a fight right now. If Bobby was here, he'd be after me. So, Bobby's. How about, yeah, I'm not even going to name the team that uh, I root for because they didn't even have a name for a few years, and they don't deserve a name until they start winning some more games. Anyway, that would be tragic, but they only had the one pair of clothes, or, or maybe two. So when your clothes got messed up, you had to fix them. You had to sew them. You had to patch them. But you could not take a new piece of cloth and just patch it onto an old garment because the new piece had not shrunk. New, new fabric shrinks, and they used a lot of natural fibers then, like wool. So it would shrink a lot. And if you were to sew a patch of new fabric onto an old garment, when it came through the wash, it would shrink and draw in and maybe rip the old garment. Most of the fabric we buy these days is pre-shrunk. So you don't get a nasty surprise when you pull it out of the dryer. However, I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but when the pandemic started and my wife started baking bread because apparently we went into little house on the prairie mode and she baked bread every day, my clothes started to shrink. Don't understand what that was about. He said, you, you can't just put the new thing into the old. So keep that in mind. Lock that away. You can't just take the new thing and stick it on the old and expect it to work. He followed it up with another illustration that looks at it from a different angle. And we're going to look at both of them and then come back around. Verse 22. Verse 22 says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, else the new wine bursts the wineskins, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into wineskins. In the ancient world, they pretty much had water to drink or wine. Unless you wanted to drink warm milk straight out the cow. Which maybe some of y'all done. I don't. I have not. I have not. Dad, is that some of you done? Yeah, I figured. I figured. That's, that's very on brand. So um, when wine was made, wine is made today, they put it in the bottles. When it was made then, uh, they had glass bottles, but it was very uncommon. They would put it into what was called a wine skin. I should have got a picture up here. It's basically a leather bag with a spout. You've watched old cowboy movies, and they got the thing with water in. It's like the pouch with, with a spout. They would put wine in that. And they would... This wine would be put in there, but it's still fermenting a little bit, so it's still expanding. There's still some gases coming off of it. And they would have to put this new wine into new wineskins because, because of the expansion of the gases, it would have to, the new wineskins could stretch a little. They could stretch because if they wouldn't stretch, it would, it would blow up, literally. My grandpa told me a story of when he was a little boy, and he was with one of his buddies. It was his uncle who was the same age as him. And apparently they were lightly supervised on this particular day. Because they, they found their way to a, to a cellar of an old store building. And they found a bunch of jars of grape juice. Like glass canning jars of grape juice. And they get the idea. Thomas and Alfred, these 10-year-old boys, get the idea they're going to make wine. So they unscrew the lids and loosen up the lids. And they figure, hey... Nature will take its course, and this grape juice will turn into wine if we just give it some time. So they unscrewed the lids. They went away for I don't remember how long, and they came back, and the grape juice was definitely fermenting. It was happening, and they thought, oh, great, it's done now. Our wine is ready. So they screwed the lids down on all of them, and they thought they would come back at some other time to get them. And they came back, and they had all exploded because of the expansion. It, expansion was still happening, and all the jars had exploded, and it was probably for the best because a bunch of 10-year-old boys 
probably did not need a cellar full of wine. Not to be judgy or anything, but that was probably a bad idea. So Jesus gave these two examples to show that his new emphasis on relationship could not just be incorporated into their old system as they understood it of of rules. External ceremony and rule following were not compatible with internal forgiveness and repentance. Jesus did not just come to patch a hole in the old system. That was not going to work. These days, we patch some clothes, but maybe another patch that some people are more familiar with is is a patch that is in programming. When there is some software and it has some problems, some bugs in it, a programmer will make a software patch to fix it. And you'll, you'll, you'll put the patch into the programming and it'll fix the bug. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to put a, a patch, a little fix in the Old Testament system. Jesus came to do something completely new. Jesus did not come to just, you know, you, you can't pour the gospel into the container of the Old Testament law. That's an old wineskin. You, you pour it in there, but this thing that we got with Jesus, this relationship is expanding and expanding and expanding. It's meant to be expanding all the time. You couldn't contain it in that old wineskin. It would just blow it up. Now, I don't want to give you the impression here, a wrong impression. God gave Israel the law, and it was really important. These are, these are good rules. The Ten Commandments... Do those, or, or don't do them, depending on which one it says do or don't do. Okay. Don't do the, don't do the don'ts, and do do the do's. That's good ram. That's, do the shouts, and don't do the shout nots. You get what I'm saying. It was important. It did show you something about what righteousness was supposed to be. And the Pharisees, they added a lot of nitpicky stuff to it. They added a lot to it. They held people to a standard they didn't always follow themselves. And they made up a bunch of extra rules and clarifications. And it was way, it was very lengthy if you ever read through those. And it was very, very minute. And they would talk about how much of this you got to give, how much. And it really made it a problem. Their idea of righteousness wasn't faith it was i'm going to keep this list of rules so i'm okay it the problem wasn't that the pharisees and others thought the law could make um that following the problem was that the problem was that they thought following the law could make them righteous now we're not so different today we can think that if we just follow the rules that we'll be righteous the rules as we understand them. We assume that if we behave ourselves, that we'll be okay. If you grab sort of the random person off the street and say, hey, you think you're okay with God? They say, eh, maybe. I hope so. Well, what makes you think so? Well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, what's it mean to be a good person? That's a good question. Well, well, a good person, a good person tells the truth. Good person is patient. Good person is this or that. And we have our idea of what makes a person a good person. But we don't always follow those rules too well, our own standards. We might say a good person tells the truth. A good person is not dishonest. Are you ever dishonest? Ever? What about a good person is patient? Are you ever impatient? And what you're going to say is, hey, preacher man, you've got to understand. I can't always be 100% honest. 
if great aunt Sally puts this potato salad in front of me and she's put raisins in it, I can't tell her that it's awful and it's the worst thing I've ever tasted because I love my great aunt Sally. If any of y'all put raisins in your potato salad, that's your business. Just don't try to feed it to me. Okay. And, and I want to be patient, but these people, these people push my buttons. Do not look at that person right now if they came with you. These people push my buttons. I want to be patient. I get it. I 100% get it, but you're only proving what I'm about to say. We have our own standards that we don't meet and we can't meet and we know we can't meet them. Don't you think God's standards are so much higher? And we think that we can somehow follow his standards so good that we're okay when we can't even follow our own standards good enough? You see, the thing is, nobody was ever made righteous by following the law because no one could follow it. Not perfectly. The point was not to make people righteous, but it was to show them they cannot possibly be righteous in their own efforts. They just can't. The Pharisees thought their rule following made them righteous. Instead, it only proved their guilt because they could not follow the rules. Jesus didn't come to give us more rules to follow. And that's a good thing because we can't follow the rules, even the ones we set for ourselves. He took a completely different approach. Instead of a system where people assumed that if they followed enough of the rules, they would have a relationship with God, Jesus put the relationship part first. The relationship did not come from rule following. But because there was a relationship, you want to do the right thing. You want to live according to his truth. Not because you're afraid he's going to get you, but because you love him. And if God says something's right or something's wrong, you want to take that to heart too and live by those values. I think of my relationship with, with my grandparents. Most of them are in heaven now. And I was generally, at least this was my impression, I was generally better behaved for my grandparents than I was for my mother just confirmed it. Uh, I was better behaved for my grandparents. Why was that? Was Granny Rose really going to bust my tail? Probably not. Probably not. She would probably give me another soda. That was a great life. She'd still give me a soda to this day if I show up. You want a a Dr. Pepper, Michael? Yes, I do, Granny. But I was better behaved for them. Not because I was afraid of being punished. Because it probably wouldn't have been. And my parents are paying that forward. Thanks for that. So the thing is, I didn't want to misbehave when I was with my grandparents. I didn't want to. Because I loved them. I didn't want to do anything to let them down or disappoint them. And, and that's kept me out of trouble through the years. You know how many mean things I could have done I didn't do because I thought Granny Rose would find out about it? And Like, oh, Michael, you made the paper for the wrong reasons this time, son. I don't want you to have to clip anything out of the paper for that. I don't want to do anything to make her think less of me. So she keeps me out of the trouble. Now, keeping her out of trouble, that is my mom's job. Maybe you've got somebody in your life like that, someone who... When you're around them, you want to live right. You want to do the right things. Not because you're afraid they will judge you, but because you value that relationship. You, you don't want to mess up the good thing you got. That's more of the life that Jesus is calling us to. Not following the rules because it makes us righteous, but 
which won't ever work. Instead, Jesus invites us to a life where we make good choices, not because we fear punishment, or not because we think it makes us better than somebody else, but because we value our relationship with God, so we want to do right. Jesus came to offer something new, a righteousness based on our relationship to Him, a connection with Him, being a part of God's family. We don't become righteous because we follow all the rules. We become righteous because we put our faith in Jesus. And we want to live differently, not because it makes us righteous, not because it makes us better than someone, but because that relationship with Jesus is so important that we don't want to do things that He says don't do. You can't combine legalism with the gospel of grace. Legalism is just a term for this rule fo- obsessive rule following. It's not the same as a relationship. So we've got to ask ourselves that tough question. <laughs> what about our connection with the Lord? Have we made our connection with God about, hey, I'm following all these rules, I'm following all the rules, I'm not going to step out of line? Or is it about a relationship? And if we say it's about a relationship, are we honoring Him with the way we live? Not because we're scared, but because we want to obey Him. When I was young in the faith, I, I think I had a lot of anxiety about it. I was always worried that if I stepped out of line, God was going to get me. I don't think that was taught to me necessarily. It was just in me already. I was worried like, okay, I'm not going to do this because I'm worried God's going to squish me. And I knew he could, but that's not the relationship that I want to have with God. With my kids, I, I don't want them to cringe when I walk by because they're afraid I'm about to bust them for something. I don't want that. That would hurt my heart a lot. A little more respect wouldn't hurt. But I don't want the cringing thing. That's not what I want. I want them to, to listen to me because of this good thing we have. Because of this love relationship that we have. Because they know that I care about them. And they care about me. And when I, they, they, they don't want to make choices that go against our, our family values because, because it puts a strain on that relationship. Following the rules doesn't put you into the family of God. And messing up doesn't get you kicked out, thankfully. But if you want a healthy relationship with God, you're going to have to value what He values. It makes sense. We need to confess our legalism, if it's there. We need to confess any spirit that makes us feel superior to others because we keep the rules better than them. That's what the Pharisees had going. And we need to understand that Jesus wants a relationship with us so much that He... He left heaven. It's hard to be a human. Agreed? You wake up with aches and pains you didn't have yesterday. I'm getting to that point of my life. You deal with stuff that's a headache all the time. You have to deal with other humans who aren't as good as being a human as they should be. It's hard to be a human. And Jesus left constant worship in heaven to come and be one of us. And then he laid down his life for us he suffered and died for us because he wants a relationship with us not just because he wants us to keep a list of rules he wants a relationship with us that transforms our lives and that's what he's offering today let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father i praise your holy name i ask that you'll help us to see that this life this life of following jesus is more than just keeping a set of rules that you want to build a relationship with us that's growing and growing that cannot be contained that'll burst any container that it's put into 
God, I want to pray for everyone receiving this here in person and, and listening to the podcast later. That you be working their hearts and show them this relationship you want to build with them through Jesus. I pray that you'll move in their hearts, that they would turn to you and trust in him, confess their sin and be saved. God, we give you the glory and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being a part of this. Very exciting. We do this every week, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. 6 p.m. service is outside. And you can always tune in if you're close by to the radio station and pick that up, 103.9. All right, God bless you. That's all I got. I'll see you next time.